I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. So who's going to do this? I I don't know. Is this how she does it? (laughs) Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for leather-loving ladies. (laughs) Red leather, yellow leather. She's always that at the start. But I don't know. Do you know what any of these buttons no. are for? Don't press controls? Don't don't press I don't that one. <laughs> what they're for. How does she emphasize? Is it welcome to the outer sanctum? Welcome, welcome to, to the, the outer, outer sanctum. sanctum for another week. I'm Emma, Emma Rice. Rice. <laughs> <laughs> good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. And the final groundbreakers, history makers. Welcome back to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I am your host. I am your host, Kate Sear. That's a real worry, isn't it? I'll let my football-loving lady sisters introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Lucy Race. I'm Nicole Hayes. I know you're wondering where Emma Race is, and I'm here to announce that Emma has sailed west of Westeros. <laughs> I am the true queen of the north, and I am your host for today. But um, in all seriousness, Emma, I hope everyone gets well back at your house, and uh, we will do our best to steer the ship without you. If you're not a Game of Thrones fan, and I know that if you're not, all of those references will have just been lost on you. Really, what it comes down to is that Emma has osteitis pubis, and so she's out for the week. <laughs> General soreness. General and also, soreness. spoiler warning for anyone who hasn't actually <laughs> oh, yeah. seen the final episode yet. Absolutely. So it's round 10 of the AFL-M, but let's just look back, first of all, to round nine. I was overseas. I was in Canada, so I missed all of the games. So you're going to have to fill me in on what <laughs> What happened? A few of us were focused on other things apart from football and missed most of the round two. <laughs> was there an election? Can we I think check? there might have been. I know. Um, we were invited along to the president's lunch at Richmond, which was lovely. And it was a Richmond Hawthorne game. And we got to go along with Tess Teddy Armstrong, our <laughs> lovely producer, <laughs> who took the four points that day. Yes. But one of the things that was really lovely, there were two things. The way that the Richmond Football Club welcomed all of the families of the players who were at that function, I thought was really lovely. It was just a real acknowledgement that they were really special people to be at the game. And one of the people who was there was Sean Grigg, who is retiring. He announced his retirement. He played 214 games for Carlton and for Richmond. He is a premiership player. He could perhaps call himself a premiership ruckman. Mm. And there was a lovely scene at the end of the game when he was on the field with the playing group and he was in his suit and he got the surprise chair off. So we've seen a lot of chair offs, chairings off. Yeah, I don't know how you say that. Over the years and we've always talked about the logistics and what planning goes into it. There was no planning here. He Mm -hmm. looked genuinely surprised and I thought it was really lovely to see somebody being chaired off in a suit. I hope his pants (laughs) held together. You know how they can be a little... 
trim, you know, then they can split. Like, you, <laughs> yes. you lift, it's not built for that. Yeah, I worry Those about suits. all of that too. It's not the same kind of flexible material as the footy outfit, it's right? Really not. No. We what had, about you, Nick? Well, I also was at that game and I'm going to give four points to Tess on her clothes as well. She was very sparkly. She looked outstanding in her Tigers get up. What I want to know is whether she was gracious in, in victory or whether she was sort of in your face. I feel like she was very gracious. Was gracious. Yeah, well, yeah. I think Tess. we were all a little, I don't think... There was a massive shock for us that day. I think we went in there ready for that outcome. But other games I was really excited about was uh, Liam Ryan's incredible hanger for the Eagles on Friday night against the Dees. And the Dees really took it to the Eagles for a while there. So it was quite a competitive match. We've got a little bit of audio, though, of the mark in question. Kennedy just awaits the right option. Now he thumps it long to the goal square. Ryan! Liam Ryan! Takes the hanger in the goal square. Flying Ryan. It was over Max Gorn. The biggest man out there. It was. Honestly, there are some amazing photos of that mark where he's basically flat on his back in the air. Mm. And that launch off Max Gorn, who did have a bit of a tumble. It's basically aerial ballet. But the best bit is he is, is Ryan ran from half back all the way down the field, like basically beating the ball without stopping, just launched himself in this like singular movement. It was spectacular mm. athleticism and just a glory to watch. Mark of the year? Uh, I reckon, yeah, if you take in the whole kind of passage of play, yeah, it could be a contender. When you've got the nickname Fly and Ryan, do you think he feels the, <laughs> the pressure? pressure yeah. That he just it's has a real to obligation. get up his game, that's for sure. Yeah, he delivered though, didn't he? He Can I did. just say on Max Gorn, one thing I did see, because I did watch some footy highlights on Twitter while I was away, and one thing I did see was a bit of a commentary watch where one of the commentators referred to Max Gorn as having turned his opponent inside out, Ooh. which... Ooh. That both sounds really both reminded me of the original Predator film <laughs> oh. with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I know. Look, I have, I know I've gone there, right? But I had to say it. I had to. I have to be honest to what came. You have sprang. to actually say it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that just seemed a bit wrong. I also just wanted to share, if I could, a commentary watch from the week before in that Sydney Essendon game on the Friday night. It was really close. There was maybe five or six minutes to go in uh, in that game, and Basil Zemplis said. It's not over until the final siren's gone. And I thought, Ooh. gee, talk about stating Profound. the obvious. Yeah. And then the final siren went and it wasn't over <laughs> because as it turned out, David Myers, if you recall, had marked the ball and had a shot from about 55 out to try and win the match. And so I thought, what an extraordinary moment for Commentary Watch because Basil Zemplis had both stated the bleeding obvious and been wrong <laughs> in the same moment. It was a real accomplishment, it wasn't makes it? Makes you wonder whether Richmond need to rework their song. Because they sing to the final gone. siren's gone. <laughs> yeah. and yes. maybe that's, only, that's a technicality because it a technicality. often it's not. Asterix. Yeah, well, te- I'm looking at Tess because I kind of think about Tess as our Richmond correspondent. Can you work on that, Tess? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stick an asterisk. <laughs> they, fit, they change skin. or well, they tried to. So, you know, they, oh, they, the lyrics are up for grabs. Um, I had another one where Bruce was, I don't remember which game it was, but he said something like, this feels like a game that's 15 goals to 14. <laughs> <laughs> well, it either feels like it, Bruce, or it. Yeah, or it and is. I don't really know what he meant, but I, I just thought only Bruce can get away with that. Nobody yeah. called him on it. I'm like, what, yeah. what do you mean, Bruce? I, I'd like yeah. to talk to him about that. Yeah, could you put a put yeah. a call into, a call into the, the network and find out? I've got him on speed dial. I wanted just to tell a really quick little story about Canada because I said I was in Canada last week, and I know Lucy, you said to me once that when I first told you this story, you realised we were. 
kindred spirits, mm-hmm. right? I was last in Vancouver about five years ago and I'd been there for about six weeks for work doing a research project. It was the very last night that I was here. I don't know if you remember this, Lucy. I was staying in a up on the eighth or tenth floor of this service department at about 1.30 in the morning, the fire alarm went off. I was kind of like, oh my God, what do I do? I don't know, you know. And so I thought, gee, I better make my way down the stairs. So I got out of my apartment, grabbed my keys and I made my way down the 10 flights of stairs with all the other residents of this apartment building streaming out. And then we stood out on the lawn on what was a really major highway in in Vancouver for like an hour and a half or something while the fire brigade came. Probably maybe 80 people, 100 people milling around. But the awkward thing was that I was wearing my Hawthorne novelty (laughs) pyjamas, which I... Which were probably designed for children, if we're fair. Like, they're not really for adults. Um, that flap any, at the back gives it away. <laughs> any football pyjamas are designed for children, like, just generally. Probably. I think so. Yeah, they, should, they shouldn't be seen in public, should they? No. Uh, it was one of the more embarrassing moments of my life. And all I could think, thankfully, no one here, I think, is Australian and knows the shame of what's going on here. But I know when I told you that story, Lucy, you... That's you, how I knew that we were meant to be friends. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So let's look ahead to this round, round 10. It's the Sir Doug Nichols round. There are some really intriguing games on this weekend, especially Adelaide versus West Coast, but we'll also have the Dreamtime at the G game on Saturday night and the Long March to the G. And we're going to talk to the general manager of the Michael Long uh, Foundation, the Long Walk Foundation, shortly. It's always a glorious celebration of Indigenous culture. But also all of the clubs, of course, this round will be wearing their specially designed Indigenous jumpers. And we've been casting our eye over those in the last couple of weeks as they've been slowly released one by one. They are all just absolutely magnificent. Did you have a favourite that you wanted to talk a little bit about, Lucy? I did. And look, it's really hard to pick a favourite. Um, and we're going to have a chat to somebody or to a few people a bit later in, in the show about some of the ones that really caught my eye. But one of the ones that I'd really like to talk about today is the Essendon Jumper. So this year's jumper has been designed by an artist named Meryn Abner Atkinson, and she was an original participant in the inaugural Long Walk in 2004. The jumper is beautiful because it really references um, Michael Long's walk. It has circles and tracks that are the towns and the miles that he walked. There are uh, square symbols, which are Michael with his stick and the men who walked with him. And you'll see there's some U shapes on the jumper as well. And that represents the women who walked. The circles on the jumper represent the people who came together as a blended community. And this, Merrin says, is the legacy of the long walk. So I think what I really love about jumpers is, I guess, what they, how they look visually and, and how they appeal in that way. But the stories behind them really unlocks the true emotion and storytelling. Yeah, they're so beautiful to look at. I want to vote right now for having them as the alternate, like the permanent away strip all through the yes. year. I don't I don't think we need just one week. They are so beautiful and so distinct that they could carry, although then I do like maybe just alternate each year with a new one, but I love the idea of that. Um, I, oh gosh, too many to choose, but I did force myself to settle <laughs> on one and the Brisbane jumper is going to be worn for the Sir Doug Nichols round in Fremantle, but also again at round 11 at the Gabba for their home game. And it was designed by Derek Oram, who's a proud Biri Gabba Barada Gungala Darumbu man. 
it honours the club's four Indigenous players by including their individual totem or some of them refer to it as a birth sign. He initially painted by hand onto canvases, the front and the back, and the players that are featured in that story on on the jersey are Alan Christensen from the Tiwi Islands and his is a flying fox totem, Cedric Cox Jaru from Western Australia, the lizard totem, Charlie Cameron has a goanna as a birth sign. And my favourite is Ellie Anderson. Uh, they include included Ellie's emu totem. She's from Gungaloo in central Queensland. And I just thought it was a lovely nod to the AFLW to include her as part of that story and have her featured on the front. She was particularly chuffed and I think a really nice testament to how Brisbane's incorporating the AFLW into their broader community. Yeah, that's beautiful, Nicole. It was the same for me. I loved all of them. I think the Adelaide jumper is just magnificent. But the one I wanted to just talk a little bit about was the Fremantle jumper because it just really caught my eye. It's so beautiful. It was designed by Fremantle Life member Troy Cook and Victor Bellotti, who is an artist from Carnarvon. It's a brilliant bright purple. So those other colours that we often see on the Frio jumper, the red and the green and the black are are gone. Um, And the central feature of the jumper is the Gascoigne River, which Troy Cook said he chose because, and I'll quote from him here, the river was my oasis. Spearing, lashing, fishing and swimming with family and friends was a regular occurrence. There are 25 river mullet featured in the river and that symbolises Fremantle's 25-year history. There's a lot of other little details as well, including some that acknowledge Australia's multicultural uh, history and multicultural makeup, which I particularly loved. But there was one little detail that I also thought was gorgeous, and that is that right in the middle of the jumper, right towards the top, they have the Sorry Day flower, which is a Mm. kind of lilac colour. That's the official symbol of Sorry Day. And Fremantle got permission from the Kimberley Stolen Generations Aboriginal Corp to use that uh, Sorry flower on their jumper. The Kimberley Stolen Generations Generation's Aboriginal Corp said that they chose that native hibiscus as the symbol of Sorry Day because it is a resilient flower that survives in harsh conditions. And its colour is purple, which represents compassion, understanding and healing. So I thought that was gorgeous. So if you go onto the AFL website or onto any of their socials, they have all of the jumpers available and the story of every jumper, including the artist and um, many stories like the ones we've shared here. So they're well worth having a look at. One of the other things that you might want to have a look at is the AFL Players Association has put out their Indigenous map for 2019. And this features the 97 Indigenous players. So that's 84 men and 13 women from the AFLW 2019 season. And it represents 57 culture and language groups. So if you go to aflplayers.com.au, you can find the map and click on it. The players who feature on the map will get a copy, which I think is really lovely. But Neville Jetta, when he was talking about it, said, when you see the map in its entirety, it really hits home the impact Indigenous footballers are having at the elite level. I would really encourage people to have a look at that. I love how it... Like if you look at it, the Indigenous population is from everywhere. Like it's spread right across the country. I think we have a sense that there's such a large um, influence from up north, but actually it's all the way down and lots of um, southern states are covered. It's really powerful to see that impact visually depicted like that. Yeah, and one of the other things to say, just back on jumpers for a moment, is that the AFL has also announced that the umpires are going to wear a specially designed Indigenous shirt. Um, It's a collaboration of two separate pieces of artwork designed by a current 
Warawa Aboriginal college student called Rose Archie and a former student, Zephaniah Neal. And some photographs can be found on social media of those pictures as well. I've seen a lovely photo of Chelsea Roffey uh, wearing that specially designed shirt, which is absolutely gorgeous. But one of the other jumpers that caught my eye this week was the Carlton Indigenous jumper, which has been designed by none other than friend of the pod, Shelley Ware. She is a teacher, an educator and a co-host of the Marnbrook footy show. And she joined joins us on the line now to tell us a little bit about that jumper. Shelley, thank you for joining us on The Outer Sanctum. Thank you, my loved ones. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, God, thank you for joining us in such a busy week. Tell us the story about the Carlton Indigenous Jumper. How did you come to design it and what does it mean? Well, I work on their RAP committee and a call was put out to artists who um, they thought might be suitable and I popped my hand up and said I'd like to do it and they went through and they said have a go so I designed a jumper I was just lucky enough to be chosen with my design and I just one night I was asleep I think I think I think I think and then I woke up and it was like three o'clock in the morning and I went that's the design I want to do I wrote it down and then the next day I just got up and I started drawing and and that's what happened it evolved from Thinking. I'm an overthinker. Shelley, your jumper is beautiful and it, it has a shield and a spear that refers to the strong, proud men that play the game. It also has um, a women's dreaming running through it. It has yeah. stars on the back that refer to the ancestors looking over everybody. But one of the other things it includes is your totem, which is, um, and also the totem of Mick Harding, who was the artist who worked with you on this jumper. And that totem is the wedge-tailed eagle. Can you tell us what the significance of a totem is? A totem, we believe, protects us and guides us through our life and that our ancestors are basically um, the wedge-tailed eagle that guide us, protect us and look after us. So whenever we go on to country, we are welcomed by, um, I'm certainly welcomed by a wedge-tailed eagle without fail every time I head home to Sejuna, I will see one flying next to me. And the other day I was driving to Portland and I actually got a bit frightened in the road and I was driving and the grass was just so high and I actually said, oh, please, please protect me. And this gigantic wedge-tailed eagle just flew out from the long grass and just flew with me and I could see every detail of his feather and um, he just guided me and protected me. I felt so safe straight away. I just knew that I was going to be okay when I got there. We just believe they're always watching over us and, and that's what I wanted for the boys in the jumper to be watched over and to be protected. And it's also the totem of the people of the Kulin Nation, um, Bunjil, so it was just so appropriate to um, apply that over on their jumper. How do you come to your totem? Is it something that's like declared for you or how, what's the process in your culture? So my son, he's 12, Taj, just asked me that exact question. He said, who picked this? How, how do you know who, who, what? And I said, it's just this oral tradition. It's just been passed down from generation to generation of stories and dreaming stories. Forever we've known that the Wedgetail Eagle looks after us. One of the things that is going to be, you know, talked about this week with the Dreamtime at the G game is the p- partnership between the Richmond Football Club and the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission. What can you tell us about treaty and why it's an important thing that the Victorian government is is um, taking on? Well, it's really important because it's an agreement. Basically, it's just an agreement that 
we make with the government on how to treat Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with respect and to, for us to be a part of the community and, and treated as equals because currently well, we all know that we're not and we all know that we're not even part of the constitution properly as, as human beings. So mm-hmm. just an agreement. It's nothing to be frightened of. People have these misconceptions about a treaty that you know we're going to take back land, which isn't that at all. It's about people working together for a shared future. And um, if you just look at what's happened in New Zealand and how wonderful it is over there, and you know that language is taught in school, culture is taught in school, and it's it's really just an everyday part of life that nobody is afraid of. That's what we want. We just want to have equal opportunity for everybody and everybody to have a really shared future together. You say um, the equal opportunity thing, I mean, that's going to continue. And I imagine that's a long, long, hard journey. But I thought it was really interesting. Um, Gold Coast Suns' Isaac Rankin talked about the fact that he believes that Indigenous players are in that recruitment stage are treated differently or perceived to have a greater likelihood of kind of flight because of the perception that they're more likely to be homesick or that less likely to want to travel far from their mob and that he really was challenged by that because that, that wasn't his experience at all. These sorts of soft, quieter, unspoken um, inequalities, how do you go about addressing those? Well, the fact of the matter is for some boys that is actually a reality. So his experience might have been that that wasn't for him, that he was comfortable to move um, away from home. But for a lot of boys, especially from really remote communities, they are needed to be um, supported stronger way and to make sure that they do have a connection to um, people and that they, you know, that their family are, are welcomed over by the clubs. There, sometimes for some people there are different ways of helping them differently and that's for every culture and every human being as an individual and I think the best thing to do is just to assess a person as an individual and just talk to them about what their actual needs are and not treat people as, you know, the stereotypical whole group. Have a chat this is what you need, great, and we'll do that for you. What are you looking most forward to over the weekend? Two things that I'm very much looking forward to. I'm looking forward to being the MC on the MCG for the Dreamtime at the G game, which I absolutely (laughs) love. Wow. Amazing. so much fun. It is so much fun. And I'm looking forward to watching the Carlton Boys run out in the jumper that I designed and that Mick Harding um, helped me create. I just cannot wait to watch them down in the run and run through that jumper and the pride. And the wonderful thing is that I haven't, I forgot to mention all the videos that I've made is that um, the spear is actually a spear that my grandfather made. He was a carver and he made that spear and it lives at my brother's house in Adelaide. But Nick is also a carver and he's making a replica that will be at the game and a shield um, that will be at the game too. So I'm so excited to see that. And that will forever more live at the Carlton Football Club. So I'm very, very excited about that. Well, what a special weekend for you, Shelley. And um, yeah. I hope it's amazing. It's We're so excited to see your jumper too. We think it's absolutely beautiful. So congratulations on it. Good thank luck you. for emceeing the big event on Saturday night at the MCG. And um, thanks again for joining us on The Outer Sanctum. Thanks for having me. So, Lucy, there was another story that caught your eye this week. Involving Adelaide and Port Adelaide. Yes, it did. There's a story that I read in the advertiser about Adelaide and Port Adelaide's Indigenous players actually sitting down together and having a dinner. You know, we don't often hear about, you know, we know that a lot of players are friends off the field, but we don't often see a lot of playing groups, um, I guess, get together and, and take time to sit down and 
um, further those relationships. What I think is interesting about this is that it's quite a conscious decision. And the article talks about how a lot of the Indigenous players had had a private screening of one of the upcoming documentaries about Adam Goods called The Final Quarter. And that was shown during the All Stars Summit earlier this year. It clearly had a very emotional impact, um, understandably. One of the things that Paul Vandenberg, who is Port Adelaide's Aboriginal Programs Director, said is that, and I'll quote here, when we were all sitting there watching it, I think most of us had a few tears in our eyes, and especially Eddie Betts. He and Shawnee Burgoyne stood up afterwards and said, as much as the industry didn't say anything at the time for Adam, we didn't say anything, and that's what hurt us all the most, that we actually stayed silent during what Adam Goods was going through. So what has come about since that summit is that the players have made a pact that they will be much more united and will speak out. And I think we've seen that this year when Mm. there have been incidents of racial abuse that Indigenous players have um, been dealt. And I think that, you know, what we're seeing is a real coming together of, of those groups. I'd love to see more allies join that group so that it's not left, the weight of that is not left to Indigenous players. So then perhaps that the strength in numbers will continue to build beyond that community because it's really, I think that's our job too. Yeah. And it's, I think that's the, you know, that's the thing that we have the opportunity this weekend to, I guess, physically show our support by taking part in one of the long walks or going to the game and engaging in some of the stories and the culture that's actually offered to us. Yeah. What's most interesting to me about that story? Story, Lucy, is that it's Adelaide and Port Adelaide. Mm. Of all of the clubs, everything I know about football in that state s- suggests that that's a really passionate rivalry. And so to see those teams mm. of, of all the teams coming together and those players coming together to try and bridge that divide is a really important reminder, I think, of how there are things that are much bigger and much more important than footy. And we've talked a little bit about that on this show, but tackling that together, I think, is wonderful. It shows great leadership. And I think there are times when you can become quite despondent and, um, you know, feel like the divisions are too broad, you know, about, you know, whatever issue or politically that, you know, the divides are getting wider. The only way that those divisions are going to get, I guess, narrowed is by reaching out and coming together. I think all those really big movements start with small ones and, you know, lots of small ones and small gestures. And this, because the symbolism of that is so enormous and far reaching and it, and it just makes a statement Mm. that's really bold and really powerful. When I was in Canada, um, I had the, the privilege actually of on two occasions being at events that were opened by a First Nations woman named Elder Roberta Price. On both occasions, she she started by asking all of us who were present at these events to put our hand up if we'd ever had a cranky thought. <laughs> and she said, put two hands up if you've, if you've had, you know, a few cranky thoughts throughout your lifetime. And of course, everybody put up both of their hands. <laughs> Just that morning, probably. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Especially if you're jet lagged. Um, she then said to us, really, you don't get anything achieved as a collective if you are sidelined by cranky thoughts. And so let's just take a moment now before we commence the work that we're about to do to acknowledge those cranky thoughts and to put them to one side, to try and come to this meeting and this discussion together as fresh as possible. And it was actually an extraordinarily effective tool because I think everybody 
did then come to that meeting and come to the discussion that then followed with a renewed sense of purpose and passion and focus. And I was really impacted by that as a, as a message. I know it's, it's easier said than done. You know, mm. if you're tired, if you're grumpy, if you feel aggrieved by things, it's, it's not always easy to put those external thoughts to one side. But interestingly, I think we see a kind of version of it there with Adelaide and Port Adelaide. We'll see a version of it this weekend with the long walk to Mm. the G. People from opposing teams coming together to support a bigger movement in this country. So um, I kind of like to try and take Elder Roberta Price's message going forward if we can. Lucy, talking about the teams that are playing at the MCG this weekend, Essendon and Richmond, Richmond have spoken recently about their commitment to a treaty in Victoria. They have. So Richmond has actually partnered with the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission and is working to engage with the Victorian Aboriginal community in the opportunity to participate in treaty advancement. Eligible Aboriginal Victorians can enrol now in the upcoming election to vote on the First People's Assembly of Victoria. The voting will take place between the 8th and the 21st of July and community can enrol and vote online via firstpeoplesvic.org, in person or via the post. marks the 15th anniversary of former Essendon footballer Michael Long's long walk when he walked 650 kilometres from Melbourne to Canberra to meet the Australian Prime Minister and discuss his concerns about Aboriginal issues in Australia. The Long Walk charity has been continuing this work for many years since and we are delighted today to be joined by the General Manager of the Long Walk charity, the Foundation Leanne Brook. Leanne, welcome to the Outer Sanctum. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. So for those of our listeners who don't know anything about that long walk. We actually do have some listeners who've said to us that they're too young to remember it. Tell us a little bit about its enduring legacy and what the foundation is doing okay. these days. Michael uh, had retired, had been retired for a, a couple of years. In a short space of time, he'd been to a number of funerals thinking, what's going on with our people? You know, they're dying younger. I just come from another funeral. We're sicker. We're not getting their health and education and employment outcomes. We're poor. You know, he just felt compelled to do something about it. And um, at the time, the peak Indigenous body at SIC was being dismantled. That was the voice of Indigenous people in the country. And so combined with that, his concern around, you know, what was sort of happening at the time, he felt really, really strongly that he needed to do something. And um, it was quite spontaneous. He rang a couple of people. So he spoke to some people at the Essendon Football Club and also at the AFL. Yeah, he just got up and he started walking and it wasn't planned. As uh, he, he started walking, friends, family members and just other people that saw it on the media started to join him. And we also, we have a group of of people that walked all the way with him called the Original Walkers. That was not just Indigenous people, but non-Indigenous people as well. One of the things that was lovely at that time was that outpouring of support. It gave an opportunity for white Australians to show their support for Aboriginal culture and um, wanting to know more about our black history. What can we do to walk with you? Well, I think once, once Longy returned... He was getting so many requests to speak, to talk about why he walked. And, and you can't talk about why he walked without talking about our history 
our shared history, pre and post colonisation. People want to connect and engage and they want to learn. I would encourage people to talk to their children, learn about our shared history, why and how the impact of colonisation still continues to impact our Aboriginal people on a daily basis. I think that's really important. We refer to it as truth-telling. There cannot be genuine reconciliation without that, without that acknowledgement, without that understanding, because the reality is it's still impacting on our people today. Um, so I'd encourage people to increase their knowledge, and it's not about making people feel guilty, and it's not about pointing fingers, but it's really around saying this, this has happened, you know, this has been the impact. Embrace the First Nations people of this country, learn about our our culture and our communities. The Aboriginal communities and organisations are out there who are really, really giving. Despite our history, we're actually really giving and we want to share. So I'd encourage people to do that. Come along to you know, events like the Long Walk at Federation Square. Fantastic. It, and it is such a powerful thing. It's a, as a symbol and, and just as a, like, just to physically see so many people moving together in that way. It's such a beautiful way of commemorating that really important first walk. On the ground, though, what have you seen happen? What are the impacts on the community on the ground? There has been an enormous impact. If we go back to Michael and his playing days, you know, the role that Essendon Football Club and people like Kevin Sheedy have had, you know, it was Kevin Sheedy who really paved the way and provided opportunities for Indigenous players to come down and play. There was a gap between the very first Aboriginal player, Norm MacDonald, you know, a gap of 40 years before Longy started playing at Essendon. You know, if we think about Dreamtime, Dreamtime at the G, if we think about the, the Indigenous round, that's really a legacy of Michael, Kevin and the Essendon Football Club. You know, it's become a wonderful vehicle to promote and celebrate our culture. I think the level of awareness and understanding is significantly greater than it, than it used to be. Uh, there's still a way to go because Indigenous people are still, you know, marginalised and we still experience significant levels of racism. But the long walk and our event at, at Fed Square and the work that we do, it's, it's also about hope educating people about the challenges we face, educating about our true history, but it's about hope and bringing um, the broader community on the journey and providing opportunities for them to experience Aboriginal culture, to be exposed to it and also to connect with Aboriginal communities. Leanne, we hear a lot about closing the gap as an initiative in Australia and some of the statistics about gaps between in life expectancy between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal Australians, literacy levels and so on. I was doing a bit of reading before you came in today and I just wanted to share some other statistics with our listeners which are quite sobering. This is some data from the Australian Human Rights Commission. So in 2016... 37% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people had experienced racial abuse in the previous six months alone. Mm. And in the same year, 54% of race-based complaints to the Australian Human Rights Commission involved Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and yet they accounted for just 3% of the population. So I guess that's what we're grappling with. And when you talk about the ongoing legacy of colonisation and racism, I heard before we started the interview, you told us that you're continuing this work and trying to take this message more broadly, including into the heartland of rugby league. You know, education is the key. And I think 
a lot of people would would be really surprised by those statistics, but that's the reality. And the other reality is, you know, institutionalized racism or you know bias in our in our systems and institutions in this country. And that's another piece of work that needs to be done for us. Creating a society that is culturally safe for Indigenous people is really important. Once again, that's educating about our history, our shared history, pre and post. And I say that because our history doesn't just start from colonisation. There's 60 plus thousands of years of history that Australians need to learn about and embrace. We're committed to educating the community and young Australians in schools about our shared history, about Aboriginal peoples and cultures. And part of that is our large-scale awareness raising events, which includes the Long Walk to Dreamtime at the G, which is this Saturday. But we are taking our message, our message of hope, our message of unity and social cohesion to the NRL. So we're doing a long walk in Newcastle. So it's the game between the Newcastle Knights and the Sydney Roosters. I don't really know that much about (laughs) rugby league, but, you know, that's immaterial. The important thing is that we're taking the long walk's message to another group of people who may not be aware of us. So that's really exciting. So that's happening on Friday night as part of the NRL Indigenous Round. Leanne, we know that of the playing group, roughly 10% is Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. It's lovely to have a round like the Sir Doug Nichols round and and for these um, celebrations to occur, but would you like to see Aboriginal culture celebrated every week or or more broadly in in our national game? Um, Absolutely. And in a sense, we do when we watch our amazing Indigenous players. There is so much fantastic work that's happening Pretty much all of the the AFL clubs are running programs and delivering various initiatives that are making a wonderful difference. At Essendon, our partnership is really strong. We're actually entwined and we're embedded into the club. And I sit on the executive of the club. So that sort of speaks to the level of commitment to our partnership, but also to the club's commitment to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and communities. There's a lot of work happening, delivering programs, running events that happen throughout the year. A lot of the time we just we just don't see it. So I guess all clubs we need to get better at at sharing our stories and share and highlighting all the good stuff that is happening. I've noticed that um, I think it's just this year and it might have started with the women's competition, but the Welcome to Country, there's uh, various videos and various um, productions for each of the clubs now or for many of the clubs. And that's quite a new thing to see that at the beginning of each game. So something like that, is that a way of lifting the profile of Indigenous culture and more directly incorporating it into this tradition of football? Absolutely. I think it's wonderful to see the acknowledgements being done at the various games. So at Essendon, we we do an acknowledgement of country at every home game. And I think one of the things that we're doing is we're embedding Indigenous perspectives and culture. It's wonderful to have the flags flying. It's wonderful to have an acknowledgement plaque. But I think you get to a point where it has to go beyond just being aware. What we're working on is embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander approaches. And so it becomes about, it just becomes a part of how you do business. You know, and that includes also incorporating Aboriginal culture into the physical building and the physical space. So we're looking at a whole range of things, including 
Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture actually being on display in the physical environment, but we're also educating our staff. Playing group is really important as well, and we do that throughout the year. Yesterday we had a cultural gathering of staff and players, and we had a welcome to country and smoking by our Wurundjeri custodian. We had Jill Gallagher, who's the Treaty Commissioner, come and talk to the staff and players about treaty, what it means, why is it important to Aboriginal Victorians, and we had Mary Napna Atkinson come and talk and speak to her design on the Dreamtime Guernsey. So yes, that was sort of the launch of our Dreamtime week, but we actually do cultural gatherings and yarning circles at the club on a, on a regular basis. Leanne, I know you're very busy right throughout the year, but I imagine this is probably the busiest week of the year for you. You were telling us off air about all the various events you're going to. I just wonder from a personal perspective in this week, is there a moment that you are able to stop and pause perhaps at the dream time at the G or something and yourself take in the sort of enormity of, of and significance of this movement and what it is that you're doing? Are you able to have that moment personally? I am. It is really, really busy. So we've got a whole range of community walks in various schools during Reconciliation Week. We've got some major events coming up. We do a walk in Brisbane in partnership with the Brisbane Lions. But um, I was just saying, you know, last year, just as we were walking, I was, I turned around to see thousands of people walk in solidarity. And I thought, you know, Michael's message and why he walked are just as relevant as it is today. Our walk is still around the education piece and, and highlighting and raising awareness, but it's also celebrating our survival. We're a resilient and proud people. And and I did. I looked at the sea. We had about, you know, 15,000, 16,000 people wow. walk with us last year. And I looked out to that sea of people of, from all backgrounds. And I think it's a wonderful event. It's one of the very few large events that gets political leaders from all parties. But more importantly, we get Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people, Indigenous people coming together and walking. It's just so simple, but it's really powerful. When I think about my work, I think about my mum. So I'm a Gundajamara Kirewarong woman from the Western District. That's my country. My mum grew up on an Aboriginal mission called Framlingham. Still have very strong connections. That Our community is still down there. So we mum goes down there quite a bit. And, you know, I think about how did I get here? <laughs> like, <laughs> I've always worked in my community in a variety of roles, but it's always been working with and for my community and that's because my mum did. She's the matriarch of our family. She is a wonderful example of, of someone who's always been committed to her community, actively volunteered for many years on top of working full time. That's where I get it. That's, I think, where I'm, I get my motivation from and she inspires me. But I feel I'm committed to making and driving social, positive social change within our communities. There are many people like me that we don't hear about. So many amazing people working in our communities, making a difference. But I'm in a privileged position. I consider it a real privilege. I don't take that responsibility lightly to lead Michael's organisation. Well, I'm glad you're leading it, Leanne, because it sounds to us like you're doing extraordinary work. So thank you for sharing that story with us today and for reminding us of the important work that the Long Walk Foundation is doing. We can't wait to see Dreamtime at the G for the G to light up with those red, yellow and black colours this weekend. So enjoy the week and thanks again for joining us on Thank, The Outer Sanctum. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So this week for Around the Grounds, I actually did go around the grounds <laughs> and I headed out to Punt Road to have a chat about one of my other favourite jumpers. 
I'm Daniel Rioli and I designed the Richmond Football Club's Dreamtime Jumper for this year. I've read that this was something that you wanted to do for a while. Why is that? I remember when I was at boarding school in Ballarat and I used to come to every game. I think I was in Ballarat for four years, so the four years I was up or down in Ballarat, I came to the games and looked at the Dreamtime Jumpers and just wanted to be out there playing, but I was still too young and then um, just every year they, you know, design the jumper and it looks, yeah, awesome. And then I finally got drafted and three years later after that, seeing all the other um, designs on there and then, you know, why not? I you know, mentioned it to the club that I wanted to, you know, design my own jumper and hopefully, you know, for the Dreamtime um, game and, you know, the club didn't hesitate at all. They said, yeah, why not? Like, just design one and then we'll get it rolling. So, um told mum and dad to help me out with the design and you know they didn't hesitate at all they were pretty excited and pumped up to be you know doing it so what was the process like working with your mum and dad yeah it was pretty much by text or a phone call and you know sending pictures up and back and while I was down in Melbourne they were up on the Northern Territory and um, I you know make sure you know they're doing it and mum would like send me photos of her drawing and sketches and to see you know what they look like and for my approval but you know I'm not the artist I'm sort of the ideas man and <laughs> um, mum yeah mum and dad are you know pretty good artists yeah look look it turned out pretty pretty special and it looks amazing and it really does did you have any disagreements not really like she, well mum, mum and dad had three designs and they the three looked amazing as well and I sort of picked out the one with the turtle and because the other two didn't have the turtle in it and I just thought, you know, that's a family thing and, yeah, yeah it just represents the whole TV island and, yeah, we went we went with the one with the turtle in the front and with the totem pole, so it's, um, yeah, it wasn't too much disagreement or anything, but we just chose the one with the turtle and that just represents the whole community. And the turtle's really important to you as well, isn't yeah. that right? Yeah, it is. Um, it's my family totem and um, it goes you know, way, way yeah. back now and um, for a long time. So, um, yeah, that's pretty special to me. And, you know, I've got a, you know, I've got a big story about a turtle as well before the 2017 uh, finals. And, yeah, it was pretty special. And if you want to hear the story, I can tell you I'd right now. I'd love to hear the story. 2017, we obviously had a successful year that year. And I remember mum calling me up like two weeks before the final series and, she said, you know, the, there's like a turtle they found on the, up on the street and the beach is obviously like further away from the community and it somehow crawled all the way up to the street and on the road and there's a night patrol car that drove past it and they picked it up and, you know, said, oh, there's something, something wrong here. Like the turtle should not be at, um, up, up this, this far and they picked it up, took it to the elders and the elders just said, you know that could be a sign for that little, that young kid playing footy in Melbourne, and that's his totem. You know they kept it in the bathtub for a bit, and <laughs> I don't know how they fed it or whatnot, kept it alive. So um, yeah, Mum told me that that was all happening, and I was like, oh well, don't don't throw it away or anything. Just keep it there for a bit. And they said, yeah, they're not going to throw it away yet. So the final series rolled around, and then we played Geelong that first final series, and we got over that, got that done and dusted, and then we played. GWS and I told mum is the turtle still 
still there and then she's like yeah like the family's calling me up like they're not getting rid of it yet they <laughs> they're still confident and they um they kept it and then we got past GWS which was um, pretty special and that's where I played my you know, my best game that that game so and then we went on to playing the grand final and I mentioned it to mum again and she's like yeah like definitely and I was like no this can't be happening like sure this is not real <laughs> yeah we got over Adelaide Crows in the grand final and Straight after Granny, I remember telling Mum, like, what happened to the turtle? Like, is it there? Or, and they're like, no, they got rid of it just after Granny. So, yeah, that was a sign that you wouldn't go all the way. And, yeah, it was pretty special. And, you know, I get goosebumps just talking about it because that's how much it means to me and my family. And, yeah, it just doesn't seem real, but, I don't know, just, I guess it's Mother Nature, really, and something pretty special. So what's it going to feel like to be running out and playing for Richmond? wearing that turtle and the jumper. I've always dreamed of, you know, running out, running out and especially playing a big occasion, mm. dream time of the G, it's, uh, it's one of the biggest game of the year and I'm pretty lucky enough to be able to, you know, go out there and play footy and especially putting on, you know, the, the design that's made by myself and uh, my mum and dad and it's going to be pretty special to see, you know, my teammates run out yeah. with it on and and even looking out in the crowd to see, you know, the fans wearing it. I'm going to be proud of that and, yeah, it's going to be special and, yeah, it's a big thing that we we did and mum and dad are pretty proud of that and they don't take compliments too, yeah, too easy but too well. So, yeah, dream come true, I guess. And what will it mean for people in the Tiwi Islands? Yeah, I've, you know, I've got social media and, you know, I see a lot of family members and, you know, friends that repost stuff and about the jumper and they just feel so proud of you know what my mum and dad did and myself to be able to design you know my culture and our culture from the TV Islands on the AFL Guernsey and for them it's going to be pretty special and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of emotions the night we run out onto the G with that jumper on so to be able to have that TV Island culture on the MCG it's going to be pretty special. That's fantastic. What did your teammates think have they given you some feedback are they happy to wear it yeah they're, they're pretty stoked um you know, i spoke to jack a few other players shedder so shane edwards um they reckon it's the best one yet but um yeah i'm not, not too sure but i got a lot of good feedbacks about the, the jersey and yeah credit to mum and dad for you know putting in the work and will they yeah. be watching yeah they'll come to the game uh they'll be there so yeah they'll definitely be at the games on my mum dad my sister, my little brother will be there, so my nephew. So everyone basically coming and to yeah, support and to witness, you know, myself and my teammates run out with the Tiwi culture out on the ground. Can I ask you one other question? Are we gonna see any more videos of Sydney Stack dancing in the change rooms? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> How funny was that? Mate, he, he's one of the um confident young blokes I've ever, you know, come across. He's um always up and about. Yeah, he loves his dancing like, I don't know if he dances in his sleep, but trust me, every day he um, he loves his dances and you know, I'm sure there'll be another one that might go viral soon. So, no, he loves his dancing and um, he's, uh, he's a pretty special player as well. Um, yeah, he really to is. To play alongside of, so you never know, he might even do a dance um, in the Dreamtime game, so just keep an eye out. We definitely will. Thank you so much for talking to us. We love the jumper and 
um, the feedback from everybody else that's seeing it is yeah. is positive as well. So Beautiful. good luck on the weekend. Thank you very much. Oh, it was so nice to go and talk to Daniel about his jumper design and to hear that story about his totem, the turtle, because it clearly just means so much to him and is so significant. Got a bit of goosebumps. Yeah, it was really beautiful. <laughs> yes, I loved hearing that interview with Daniel Rioli. What an absolute champion. And I can't wait to see him play this weekend. So um, good luck to him and to Richmond. Well, I think we've made a bit of a dog's breakfast about it with Emma. <laughs> so let's move into any final business, ladies. I'm excited about the pregame entertainment for the dream time at the G. It's like it's such an amazing event anyway, but you, you get these added extras, which are just fantastic. We've got um, this week... It's going to be Aboriginal Australian artists Baker Boy, Thelma Plum and Urimal, and they're going to perform starting from about 6.30. Urimal will be performing Treaty pregame, which will be quite an amazing experience. Uh, anyone who's going to be there for that, um, you won't forget that easily. Then Thelma Plum comes along and she's going to sing uh, Better in Black and Baker Boy will collaborate on his songs Black Magic and Mariuna. The thing about Black Magic is it was actually inspired by the Dreamtime game. He watched that game and the power of it and loved seeing his culture on display and that's what inspired him to write that song. So I think that's really extraordinary. You could actually spend most of Saturday down around that MCG precinct because Richmond have a triple header. So their VFLW team and their VFL team are playing before the Dreamtime at the G game and they'll all be wearing the Indigenous jumpers and I think there are some special things that are planned for all of those games. So if you don't have anything on on Saturday and you're in Melbourne, that's a great way to spend the day. I've said it a few times already on the pod, but I genuinely cannot wait for this weekend's round of footy. I think it's the most special round of the year. I can't wait to see Dreamtime at the G, to see that beautiful stadium lit up. And I think for many of us in this country at the moment, it will be important to spend a weekend coming together and really celebrating our history, our Indigenous history, our Indigenous culture, just coming together in a, in a gesture of reconciliation through that game. So I can't wait for it. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thank you also to all of our listeners who've been going on to iTunes and sending us reviews. We are reading them all and we love them all. Thank you most of all to our producer, Tess Armstrong, who has put up with me totally butchering <laughs> this hosting gig this week. And um, I hope that if Emma has sailed west of Westeros, she gets to a point where she realises there's nothing out there for her and Mm-mm. she turns around no and sails back. No spin-offs. <laughs> Come home, Emma. We need you to steer this ship because I've made a complete meal of it. On that note, we're going to go out with Baker Boy's Black Magic, which you'll hear at the MCG this weekend. There's only one thing left to, left to say, ladies, and that is... Go footy! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.